welcome everybody. Um, it's August 18th and welcome to the Vegetable Beat, a live weekly discussion during the growing season for vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest regions. I'm your host, Katie King from Nebraska Extension. This week's show is all about getting set for that fourth growing season, winter. We'll be discussing the critical pieces to growing our leafy greens during the shortest days of the year. Lewis Jett, a commercial horticulture extension specialist from West Virginia University, is here to talk about preparing hoop houses for and tending to winter leafy green vegetables. We want to get your questions answered. If you're listening live via Zoom at glveg.net slash listen or Facebook at facebook.com slash veggie beat. You can submit questions to the chat or Q&A box or as a Facebook comment. We will try to answer them as we go um, and we'll also save some for the end as well. So welcome, Lewis. Um, let's go ahead and get started. And I'll just um, have you introduce yourself to our listeners. Hey, thanks, Katie. And it's good to be here. Uh, hello to everybody in the Great Lakes and the Great Plains region. Um, so I, I'm Lewis Jett, as Katie said. I am the Extension Specialist for Horticulture at West Virginia University. I do research and extension with commercial crops. Uh, most, uh, a lot of my work is with high tunnel growers, um, greenhouse growers. But we do a lot of open field um, trials as well. And um, uh, so I do mostly vegetables, but I, I have uh, also a project where we're looking at small uh, elderberries and other small fruits. And we even have a nut crop uh, project going on too. So um, yeah, it's just great to be here and always good to share information and learn new things from other folks from different parts of the country. Well, great. We're glad you're here. Um, well, I know the first time I got to hear about some of your leafy green production was at a high tunnel workshop at Iowa State uh, a few years ago. Um, so maybe tell our listeners a little bit about how you got involved in studying um, leafy green production. Well, um, so I think, you know, like you, Katie, being an extension, you work closely with growers and you sort of try to try to be one step ahead of what growers are doing, you know, if you can, or kind of keep pace with them is hard enough, it's hard enough by itself. But I mean, here in West Virginia, um, we have about a thousand high tunnels and scattered around our small state, um, you know, about 25 or 30 in each county. And um, so what I found was that the growers were, were only growing one crop in these times. They were just doing a, one warm season crop, one early warm season crop, and they were done. So I said, you know, there's got to be an opportunity to use these things year round um, for season production. Um, you know, let's look, let's take a, a deeper look at these winter crops. Um, you know, we'll look at the markets, see what market potential we have. And then we'll look at all the portfolio of crops that we can grow in the winter, which is 30, 40, 50 crops that are, that are uh, available to our growers. So it really came out of the need to get our growers to, to use these tunnels more efficiently for food production, for local food production. <clears throat> and, you know, there's potential here to make good cash flow in the winter. So um, that's sort of what started it for me. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the challenges um, in the winter leafy green production that some of your research has sought to address? Yeah. So, we're, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're starting the, this webinar um, here in kind of late summer, because this is like a transition period for high tunnel growers. I mean, you're, you're, you're probably winding down the warm season crops and you're thinking about what's next. So, you know, basically this September is going to be the time 
to transition to cool season crops. And so um, we basically are starting our cool season trials here um, in West Virginia. And, you know, even though we're a little, we're farther south than what you are around the Great Lakes region, um, we probably can do almost the same types of crops. And so we're starting in with our spinach trials again. We, we look at spinach almost every year. Uh, it's been a reliable leafy green um, for us to look at, but we're also looking at heading type of vegetables like romaine lettuce, and <clears throat> we're actually looking at green cabbage. So we think, you know, vegetables that are already ready to ready to ready to eat, you know, just a once over harvest um, are a good fit for, for new growers. I think sometimes when they're new producers, they're not real, you know, they're kind of uneasy about you know, sequential planting, succession planting, getting that that sequence right. But I, I think sometimes if you can grow a crop that you know there's a market potential for, and then all you have to do is, is plant it so it reaches maturity and you do a once over harvest on it, that's an easy fit for a lot of these producers. So um, we're, we're about to embark on um, a large, uh, this is our second year for our winter cabbage uh, project. And um, we have a, a local processor in the state that makes coleslaw. So we're gonna be able to possibly sell to that processor, but also there's a strong retail market for cabbage during the winter and early spring. So there's that opportunity too. So, um, but yeah, we have looked at, um, you know, 35 different winter crops over the past, um, I guess, t- 10 years that I've been doing research with um, these high tunnel cool season crops. Okay. Wow. Um, well, speaking of timing, can you talk a little bit about planting dates and are you establishing seeds, transplants? Talk about yeah, some of that. Uh, I'm a big transplant person because I, I really like to establish plants as transplants. I just think it's so much easier. Now, obviously, there's some crops you can't transplant like carrots. We've tried. Uh, we have a couple of growers that have tried and, and a little bit better at it than I am. But it's just a really, really difficult thing to do. We have transplanted turnips. That's no problem. But but uh, almost every vegetable that we, we try to plant, uh, we try to establish as a transplant. Mainly because like right now, you know, we're here in mid-August, um, you can seed uh, plants in the transplant tray and let them grow as transplants while you're still finishing uh, your, your warm season crop. So, you know, you still have a good, maybe a good solid month of harvest off the tomatoes and the peppers and the squash and the cukes. You can still let those go, but then, you know, use your, your, your transplant trays either in another greenhouse or maybe some, you know, unused space of your high tunnel grow these plugs, grow these transplants and have them ready to plant um, before, uh, you know, the end date for that crop. It's kind of complicated, but I, I think, you know, just generally speaking, you have two choices on planting dates. Um, you can establish, you know, in late summer, early fall, and then probably your crop will reach maturity in in early winter through through deep winter. If you delay I think this this would be the same the same situation for the Great Plains and for the Great Lakes. Is if you delay if you de- delay planting into October and even November, you're you still will have a crop, but you're probably not going to be harvesting that crop until spring. So you're just overwintering. So you have two choices. I mean, so you know if you'd rather just you know harvest in the spring, you know have an early spring crop of greens or or lettuce or cabbage or something like that, then you can you know plant into October. Let those warm season crops go a little bit longer. But if you really, if you're, you're, you're really your goal is to try to have early winter, um, you know, uh, harvest, then you need to get those established 
starting in August through September. And, um, you know, mostly planting them as transplants would be, a, would be a good way to go. I'm sure that some of our viewers are, or listeners are familiar with the climate in West Virginia, but for those that aren't, I'm sure you have to apply some heat and you're using probably row covers and some things like that. What, what's your principles when it comes to applying heat and um, when do you do that? And Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we have some growers that use supplemental heating um, in winter production and it basically involves just, you know, keeping that minimum temperature above 40 degrees. So if you're, if you're keeping it above 40 you know, particularly for crops like lettuce, for spinach, for kale, for collards. We grow a lot of collard greens um, as well for winter production. Then you're going to get much more harvest. You're going to have more harvest frequency if you're holding that night temperature, uh, you know, 40 to 45 degrees. That's a minimal heating bill. Um, you know, so if that is the case, you know, you need to have fans in there running and circulating that, that heat. So then it becomes kind of a hybrid high tunnel. You know, it's not really... A, a true high tunnel where, you know, you've got heat in now and you've got electric running fans. Um, we have, and then the other scenario is, you know, you just go low tech and you just use um, row covers. And we have a whole protocol for using row covers and high tunnels for these leafy greens. Um, you know, basically, you know, we're putting the row covers on uh, usually uh, one to one and a quarter ounce row cover. Um, if the uh, ambient temperature outside is getting below 25 degrees Fahrenheit, We'll double layer the cover if the air temperature is getting below 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, then the row covers come off on sunny days and then they're reapplied about three hours before sunset in the evening. So you can make row covers work. I mean, these cool season crops, you know, spinach is incredibly cold tolerant. Uh, you know, kale is very cold tolerant. So um, you can you can ride through the winter without any problem, I think, even in the, uh, the uh, northern uh, Midwest or the upper Midwest, uh, around the Great Lakes region, uh, even with just row covers, putting on row covers um, on a timely manner. But, but I think, you know, if you do make the investment, the marginal costs of um, having supplemental heat, it will pay for itself. Uh, we have growers that are, you know, their yields per square foot are higher because they're using supplemental heat. But, you know, growers don't want to go that route, then row covers will work too. Um, okay. We, uh, back in February, we hit... Uh, negative 26 degrees where I live. Um, and one of the growers not far from me, um, I, they had like six or seven layers of row cover over their spinach and somehow it made it through. So spinach is definitely tough. Um, what are what are some of the standout varieties of spinach or some of these other crops that you've worked with um, that do really well? Yeah, I mean, spinach, I think we talk about it because it's kind of a standard leafy green. There's a good market for it. Um, um, easy to establish. You can you can succession plant it so you can get multiple crops through the year. Uh, we stagger the plantings every four weeks, two to four weeks, usually starting in August. Um, we, I, we have some growers that are getting two pounds per square foot. I never can get more than a pound per square foot. So, you know, whatever you're getting per pound uh, is how much gross revenue you could get per square foot. So it turns out, you know, growers can get four, six, eight dollars a, a pound sometimes for spinach. Um, so we do spinach trials, uh, you know, uh, usually just cutting it as loose leaf um, harvest, baby leaf and, and full size leaf. And so uh, our favorite varieties are varieties like uh, 
uh, regiment, um, emperor, um, and uh, we also grow um, uh, the um, space, which is a, a popular variety. These are all semi-savoid um, type varieties. Um, there, we did a variety called Violin, which we got from Osborne Seed Company. Osborne and Johnny's, you know, both have a large number of, of uh, spinach varieties to choose from. But our best smooth leaf variety was a variety called Violin from Osborne Seed. But um, those varieties that I mentioned, the Emperor, the Regiment, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, the other one I mentioned, which is the Space, um, they've been excellent varieties for us. Uh, I think on some of the other crops uh, with like kale, uh, we tend to concentrate more on the, um, um, the curly leaf uh, kale varieties like winter boar, red boar, um, star boar. Um, we do grow red Russian and white Russian, but um, I do like the, the, um, the winter boar kale. It's been a, a good, um, and the Siberian kale has been a good, a good winter producer for us. Um, we also do, as I said, collard greens. I think collard greens are under underestimated sometimes on on just you know the productivity and how good how how good they taste you know we've been you know it's funny because you know here in Appalachia um, collards greens didn't quite make it this far north so it's still not part of our history here in the state but um, you know if you go into Virginia North Carolina and Kentucky uh, it's it's kind of popular but you know um, varieties like Vates and um, uh, Champion and we even grow a variety called Georgia Green, um, which are very good winter collard greens. And so collard greens can be harvested just, you know, loose leaf or baby leaf. You can broadcast seed them like you can spinach and just harvest it as a, a baby leaf uh, collard green as well. So those have been good, some good varieties uh, for us on that. The cabbage, um, I tell you, we've, I think we've looked at maybe 40 varieties of cabbages so far. Honestly, the best varieties that have been the most reliable are the miniature cabbages, like Caraflex and Tierra. Um, they, they, they really consistently produce a nice, uniform, uh, small head of cabbage, single serving, if you will, head of cabbage. But you can space them like you do lettuce, you know, eight to 10 inches apart. And so you can get as many cabbage heads per square foot or per thousand square feet as you can lettuce heads. So I would, you know, I just would would um, you know sort of ask the growers uh, to maybe look at, at maybe what the potential for marketing green cabbage is in the off season in deep winter um, or early spring and I know there's cabbage in storage but really some of these varieties that you just fresh cut right out of the tunnel are just incredible it's incredibly sweet the flavor is just uh, just unique so uh, 80 cents a pound uh, or a dollar a pound for, for cabbage in, in late winter is a pretty good market so those have been some good Good varieties for that. Um, what else am I missing, Katie? I'm going to greens. Um, oh, well, I think that that provided quite a list for people. Um, I'm well, making some too, notes I mean, for myself. Well, the lettuces, I mean, there's so many varieties of lettuce. And like I said, I haven't, we haven't really looked at a lot of leaf lettuces, although we have grown um, some leaf lettuces, but we've really been looking at the romains and the, uh, uh, the uh, sort of the uh, Batavian types. Um, our favorite romaine lettuce is um, green forest uh, or green towers, but mostly green forest. And it's been a, a real reliable producer for us, particularly for those farmers that we have that are selling to hospitals um, and to schools. It's been real, it produces a consistent one pound, 1.2 pound head of, uh, of, of lettuce and, and really good quality. Definitely recommend that. Yeah, that's a good one to note. Um, what about 
as far as like pests go um, for some of these crops mm. um, in the high tunnels, um, I know I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, aphids on spinach and things like that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aphids are a chronic problem for us in tunnels uh, year round. <laughs> we battled them year round. So um, yeah. Um, it, it's common to see aphids on, on um, leafy greens uh, through the winter, even deep winter. Um, and, um, you know, there are, there are synthetic, uh, products, um, that, um, are available to control these. I, I, the key, the key really to aphid management, I think, is to really keep the tunnel from getting too warm. So I, I think this is kind of a, a, a problem that particularly new growers have is they, they let the tunnel get too hot and too cold and too hot. So these spikes in temperature and then, you know, dramatic drop off in temperature, that's really stressful for the, the plant, but also I think it, it, it sort of um, uh, creates problems with pests like aphids. It, it causes a flare up of aphids if there's a real spike in temperature for you know several hours every day. That will cause a flare up, I think, of aphids. But the key, I think, is I tell the growers, you know, everywhere. I mean, you've got to scout these these plants. You've got to walk the rows. You've got to look at under under the leaves. You've got to you've got to catch these pests early. You got to find the hot spots, and then you got to you know manage them sort of on small scale before they become a wide, wide, uh, wider problem in the tunnel. So so vigilance and just scouting is is really important. I mean, it's hard to use predators in the winter, so you know you can't really use the predators like you can in spring and um, the other seasons of the year. So you know that's that's an issue too. I'd also recommend growers you know watch. And this is a we can have a, a big discussion on, on fertilization in the winter but but it's really important not to put too much nitrogen on these crops and that will flare up uh, aphid problems too but also there's this whole side issue of having too much nitrates in some of these leafy greens so you've got to watch the, the, the nitrogen management during um, winter winter fertilization um, to keep the nitrate levels from being too high but um, yeah i mean aphids are a problem um you know Aphids would be like a deep winter pest you'd see even in, in deep winter. But we also have problems with um, uh, slugs, you know, that are kind of leaf feeders. And uh, we just use iron phosphate for that. It's, it's, um, but I, I think the key to, to controlling slugs, snails, and even what we have problems with are sow bugs, <laughs> which are crustaceans, you know, uh, is not getting, not overwatering. Uh, you know, not having a lot of, of saturated soil or free moisture, that tends to to create problems with um, snails, slugs, um, sow bugs. Um, so that have to be you have to watch that. But then, you know, like I said, you know, if you're establishing winter crops, you start establishing them now in August. I mean, they were September, so you still have pests that are warm season pests, like like uh, white flies, and you can still have stink bugs and um, you know things like that. That it's grasshoppers that could come into the, uh, the tunnel, even in the warm season and chew the leaves and, and defoliate the plant. So, um, so you just have to watch out uh, for those types of insects as well. But we oh, also, oh I mean, go ahead. But we also have, you know, kind of have some fungal problems on the lettuce, um, what we call lettuce drop, which is sclerotinia. Uh, it's just something that you have to watch for. It's not, if, if it's widespread, it's probably going to require rotation away from lettuce for a while. But, uh, you know, if the, if the lettuce, the head of lettuce just completely collapses, just, just like immediately collapses, that's probably sclerotinia. Um, 
there are some products like Contans and, and things that are labeled for controlling it as a, as a pre-plant application, but uh, it could be devastating if it builds up in the soil over, over time. Um, so not a lot of, of fungal diseases that we see in the winter, but sometimes, you know, gray mold and, um, and something like leaf um, uh, lettuce drop or, or scarotinia would be a problem. Okay, interesting. Uh, we had a, um, a question come through about aphids um, being an issue on cabbage and lettuce. Um, so hopefully we provided some good um, answers and suggestions for um, Kathy. Um, and I, just a quick reminder to our listeners too, um, you can submit questions and we're happy to answer those as they come in. Um, what about, I, I know in some of your research, you've mentioned a little bit about the economics um, side of, of winter lettuce production. So um, talk about, is it, is it worth it for the producers with the inputs that it requires? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, everything is kind of situational with growers. I mean, I tell folks, you know, first of all, determine if you can market this produce and, you know, are there institutional markets like schools and, and hospitals that would be interested in taking them? Um, leafy greens. Um, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of communities have winter farmers markets once a month or once every two weeks during during winter. So there may be an opportunity to sell there. I think one of the good things we've learned through this, this pandemic crisis is folks are willing to come to farms to buy fresh produce. So, I mean, I think just, just having people know that you have fresh greens in deep winter, there'd be a market for people coming to, to your farm um, to do that. So, you know, marketing is critical, kind of, net, you know, determine what your, your market structure is. There may be some opportunity to do some wholesaling too, uh, to local, uh, maybe independent grocery stores. But that's the thing about these leafy greens, they're perishable, you know, they're not, they're not able to be stored. So they have to be moved pretty fast. I mean, you know, not, things like lettuce, you know, head lettuce, or, or even the cabbage that I mentioned before, you can hold it in the tunnel when it's fully mature and just harvest it, you know, like you would if you're coming into a cooler and you're just cutting it and taking it out of the cooler. So, you know, if you if you have that set up, it's 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 pretty good structure. But if you're cutting leafy greens, loose leaf greens, you know, you need to have the market for that as quick as you can. But that's why I like these these heading type uh, lettuces and, and cabbages because you can cut them when they're fully mature and then leave them in, in place in the tunnel and um, and harvest them as as based on demand. Absolutely. Um, well, and so as we wrap up, um, one more question, because your research is focused in the mid-Atlantic um, region, I mean, a lot of our listeners are in the Great Lakes regions or the Midwest, Great Plains areas. So, I mean, I, th- I definitely see a lot of translatable information here, but any particular advice for producers um, in these regions as they think about winter production? Well, I think, you know, just getting established at the right time is important, knowing when to start and when to stop things. So we, you know, I have, we have, you know, planting schedules for all of our crops here in West Virginia. I'd say a lot of the states in your, you know, in the the Great Lakes and in the Great Plains region probably have your own planting calendars for high tunnels. Just follow those. I mean, um, because like I said, timing is everything and just making sure you get these crops established on time really determines when you're able to harvest them. So it's, it's kind of the decision that the grower has to make. I mean, do they want to harvest during the winter? Do they want to work during the winter? Uh, you know, uh, 
then if that's the case, then, then maybe they can delay planting until, you know, uh, mid-fall. But if they really want to get those early winter markets, they've got to have these crops established in September. Um, and they, the plants need to be full-sized by the time that that, what they call that Persephone period, that, that period from late November through late January sets in, where the day length is less than 10 hours. And plants just basically don't grow. I mean, they're just they're just sitting there, going, you know, quiescent. To it. So, you, you know, if you if you want to have a crop ready to harvest in early winter, you know, now is the time to start getting it established. You sowing it as a transplant. You can direct seed now if you have the, the open space in the tunnel. But through September uh, is when you're going to need to establish all these leafy greens that we talked about, but also the root crops that we haven't talked about, like carrots. We do a lot of carrots here too. And then um, actually carrots are even more profitable than some of these winter, these, these winter leafy greens. But, you know, having them established by, um, by early October, I think is, is pretty important. And I just say this, you know, the other thing too is, I mean, if you're not, if you're not real comfortable with these winter crops, you know, for the first time, then maybe just do a third of the tunnel or a half the tunnel in a winter cash crop and then do the other half in a cover crop. Just put it in something that'll, you know, sort of um, improve soil quality and soil health and just say, and rather than let it sit fallow and barren all, all winter, like a winter desert, you know, have something growing in there, maybe one half or one third lettuce, spinach, cabbage, collards, uh, kale, and the other half can be, you know, uh, rye, uh, crimson clover, um, uh, you know, you can have winter peas mixed in with that. So, um, you know, that might be a good way to get your foot uh, in the door with these crops. Just try a little bit, see if the market's good, see if you're comfortable growing them. And then maybe next year expand a little bit. Yeah, I, this has all been great information, very applicable for our listeners. Um, well, Lewis, thanks so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, if anybody has any questions, I, I know we went through some of these topics pretty fast, but, you know, just email me uh, and I'm happy to send you maybe some things that we've done research with specific crops and then our, some of our variety recommendations. I think there's a lot of translation to what works here, to what works also in the upper Midwest and the Great Lakes region. And um, I'm happy to, to, to help anybody that needs help with my experience and our research. And then I learn from them, too. I learn from growers, too. So uh, I'm really happy to be here. And, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this show is put on by the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network, a group of extension educators and researchers from across the Great Lakes region, sponsored by the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. We broadcast live via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central every Wednesday from the first week of March to the first week of September, and we interview farmers, researchers, and others about topics relevant to vegetable growers. We have a couple more shows lined up before we wrap up the season. Next week, join Michigan State University Extension's Ben Phillips as he talks about managing wildlife on vegetable farms with Aaron Lazat and James Dedecker, also from Michigan State University Extension. Thanks to our panelists, Lewis Jett, and all of our listeners for joining us today. I'd like to ask our listeners to also do the Vegetable Beat team a huge favor and fill out our seasonal survey. You'll find a link and all of the show's information at glveg.net slash listen. Have a great week. We will talk to you all next Wednesday, same time, same place. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kate.